The scripture reading for our meditation today is taken from the revelation given to St. John, where John is uh, allowed to see into not only heaven, but the end times. And he here speaks of the Lamb, which is Christ, uh, opening the fifth seal. Chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. On the cover of this morning's bulletin, you will see a, uh, an illustration, an image of a man by the name of Giuliano Savonrola. And he was a priest in Venice, Italy, back in the 1400s. And this was back at a time when there was a lot of abuse taking place inside of the church. And many of the clergy, many of the pastors and priests had, had fallen into very gross sins. Some of them were uh, engaged in even helping to run houses of prostitution. There was embezzlement taking place in the church. A lot of priests and bishops and archbishops and even the Pope himself at times would be using their office to, uh, to uh, gain uh, advancements for themselves and to... Uh, to gain money from people and so on. And, and various, various kind of local small priests here and there and monks would stand up against this and, and would speak out against it, quite often sort of crushed by the church. And one of those happened to be in the city of Venice by the name of Guillermo Savonrola. I just love that name. It's a lot better than Don. But <laughs> Guillermo Savonrola, it's a great name. But at this time in his life, people were very hungry for the truth. And people knew that something wasn't right in their church. They knew that there was something messed up. And, and yet, because they were so powerless and because the church leadership had such power at the time and was, was so connected to the political power of the day, because of all that, it was very unlikely that anything was going to change. There were even writers at the time warning people not to let their sons go off to become priests because it would wreck them. That's how bad it had gotten. Now this was all taking place around the time that Martin Luther was a teenager. And the leadership in the church, when they heard Savonarola preaching out against them in these abuses in the church and calling for repentance, not only among the people, but especially among the church leaders, they obviously did not want to hear this. And so the first step they took was try to bribe him out of it by declaring him to be a cardinal in the church. But he refused to be silenced, and he continued to preach and stand up against all these things. Finally, the leadership in the church excommunicated him. And they decided that he would be hung in the public square in the city of Venice, and then his body would be burned um, while hanging on the rope. And that's exactly what they did to him. Martin Luther referred to him as that godly man of Venice. 
You can still go in Venice and find a large bronze medallion in the city street uh, that commemorates the location where this took place. Now, not all of his theology was perfectly in line with the Bible, and yet he was one who attempted to call people back to repentance and to refocus the church onto what God said in his word and onto Christ as our Savior. His preaching apparently was so powerful that it brought many people to tears. In fact, people who didn't like him referred to his, uh, his followers as weepers because uh, he caused such repentance in their hearts. Through the years, many people have been martyred for their faith in Christ. And uh, from the time of St. Stephen in the early church all the way down to um, our present day today. Last year alone, in 2022, it is estimated that nearly 6,000 people around the world were martyred, were physically killed, often violently, violently, for their faith. And most of that is very unseen to us here in the United States, unless you really look for it on a Google search. Now, we do not dwell on martyrs very often, and there's a reason for that. Uh, we're not supposed to dwell on them when it comes to our theology and our faith. Scripture doesn't really dwell on them either. This is one of the few little mentions of this in Scripture. And the reason is there can be a danger of that, of aggrandizing the person and the individual and putting our focus and attention in the wrong place. The devil loves it when he can take Christians who love Christ and his word and use something in their faith that's close to Christ but not quite on him to shift their attention slightly away. It's one of his best tools to try to get Christians away from the gospel. But there is a proper way for us to consider and to respect and learn from those who have been martyred and given their life for the cause of the gospel. First of all, it's important for us to understand very clearly why they were martyred. Uh, the Greek word for slain that's translated slain here is actually the same word that's used for butchering an animal. That's the word that God chooses to use to talk about their deaths. And this is why they were martyred. They were martyred for the word of God and for the testimony they held, for the word of God and for the testimony they held. Any oppression that you as a believer in Christ will undergo in this world is ultimately for those two things, for possessing his word, which is the only word of truth from heaven, and secondly, your confession of Christ. You're in any way giving testimony to the fact that you love this Savior. All of that will now put you in the crosshairs of this wicked world and of the devil, the wonderful gospel of salvation that God has caused you in your heart to come to love and appreciate and cherish, that has given you the hope of going to heaven, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, that is the very thing that you now confess and profess which may put you in the crosshairs. God spare us from physical violence, but it may come someday. Secondly, appreciate the depth of faith that God the Holy Spirit has worked in the lives of these people who've been martyred. Uh, the, the gift of faith is truly a gift not only at the beginning but all the way through. The fact that any of us or any of them could confess and hold on to Christ their whole life is entirely the work of God the Holy Spirit. Should he at any time withdraw himself 
we would die physically or die spiritually. And so the fact that this faith is alive in them to, to cause them to be in such bold situations to be martyred is really giving glory back to the work of the Holy Spirit alone. Thirdly, we should appreciate the often bloody, difficult path by which the gospel has shown up in our laps today. Just give an illustration in the, in the physical world to help us understand this. Many years ago, um, there were some, some American pilots and, and uh, soldiers that, were, that had to crash land in a plane behind enemy lines during World War II. And through a period of a number of weeks, were uh, able to get to freedom by various people that helped them along the way and, and let them get out. And many years later, um, these men, now in the United States, decided to go back over to that part of the world to retrace their steps and retrace their, their, uh, their path to freedom. And on that trip, they discovered that there was a couple that, sh that shielded them in their house who was killed for helping them gain freedom. Now, when you and I someday arrive in heaven, who, we might, who might we find out about that, that shed their blood in the path by which the gospel has made it to us? That we would appreciate and treasure the, the very difficult way that many people have had to go through in life for us to sit here today worshiping openly our wonderful Savior. May we never know in this lifetime, or we may never know in this lifetime, the great sacrifices that have been made in order for us to possess this truth. We should also cherish the freedom that we have to openly, presently, worship our Savior. And finally, by faith, let us wait patiently to join these martyrs and all of God's saints in their final resting place. A commentator says this, there is a fixed number of martyrs known to God, and God will allow the enemies of the church to continue their opposition until the full number of those destined for martyrdom has been reached. Now one last thing to draw attention to out of our text to help us put this all in proper perspective, and that is the white robe of righteousness that is given to these martyrs. It's a reminder to us that it is not their martyrdom that has in any way saved them. It is not some great heroic act that they accomplished that has brought them to God's heavenly altar. But rather, it is alone the holiness of Christ their Lord, given to them in baptism, grasped in their hearts by faith that God himself worked in them. It's the same precious white robe that God has given to you and to me the same one that you and I possess even now by faith, even though we can't see it or feel it. You will receive your reward in heaven for the same reason that these martyrs are there. Grace and grace alone, and grace abundantly. All things are finally in, in God's hands. The timing of how long this world will last, how many people might someday be martyred, and so on. And he promises that he will vindicate his holiness and his truth in his time when he sees fit. Today he calls on us to be patient as he will someday call on us to enter our eternal rest.